0: Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Today. So we're going to look this morning into the book of 1 John, chapter 2. Um, we do have a few uh, codes that I want to show up on the screen. Um regarding our Bible reading plan. So uh, one of the wonderful things about uh, having, uh, you know, the technology that we have, we have these amazing apps, the Bible app is one uh, that is really helpful for me personally, uh, because they have some reading plans that you can be a part of. So our church, we want to encourage you to be a part of these Bible reading plans. As a pastor, it's very helpful for me to know what uh, what you're reading Uh, And so that we are reading all the same chapters and verses uh, throughout the week. It's very helpful because specifically for uh, the message this morning, if you are part of our Bible reading plan, you have already read this scripture and uh, pray that your heart would be open to it. But there's two reading plans that I want to share with you. First of all uh, is our Advent plan. Advent is uh, the the Christmas season, and so we're going to put up a QR code. If you'd like to join us in the Bible app for this Bible reading plan for the Christmas season, you can link up with that QR code. And uh, secondly, uh, we'll let that uh, be up there for a minute. Uh, There we will be starting. We have a new year that is starting in uh, less than a month. Uh, 2023 is already upon us. Can you believe it? And so we are going to be starting another Bible reading plan uh, for next year and I've already selected that it's already set up and ready to go we want to encourage you to be a part of that also uh, so you can show the uh, image for that one as well uh, that is the QR code for the Bible reading plan for next year and we want to encourage you to do that uh, we, to have a habit for Bible reading and to join together in community with our church it's a great tool. It's a great, uh, uh, very helpful way for us to study the Word of God and to be part of, um, you know, just in fellowship through the Bible app. It's a very, very helpful thing. So uh, don't worry, that's the the last time we'll show that. Uh, We want to just begin to get ready for the next year coming up. And so 1 John chapter 2, if you join me there this morning, 1 John chapter 2. This would be the epistle of John toward the end of the New Testament, right before the book of Revelation. I want to encourage you to turn there with me this morning. There are basically two kinds of people in the world. There are people who enjoy taking tests and those who don't. I tend to fall in the first group. I uh, skated my way through high school because I was really good at taking tests, Uh I was not good at doing homework, but I could pretty well do get A's and B's on every test that I took. So uh, using the logic of I don't ever want to do homework, uh, I'll just pass the tests. And by doing that, I made it through high school somehow. Uh, But I know that there are other people in the world who are not good at tests. It is stress-inducing. It is something that causes fear and anxiety. And the, uh, uh, the difference is, many times, is whether or not you know the material. And so as we turn our attention to the book of 1 John, we're going to see in this scripture a test. And I don't want you to be afraid about this test. I want to give you some of the material so that we can take a test together that will help us. Uh, the test of whether or not we are who we say we are. We've come here this morning, hopefully uh, not just to be part of a church service, but because we're interested in following Jesus. Can you say amen? We're here this morning because we want to hear from him. We want to know his word. And so as we live for God, there are some important tests that we need to administer to ourselves so that we can know that we know whether we are in the faith. And whether we are truly following him, or whether we are doing something that is unhelpful, and I want to preach a message, the test of knowing him. Let's read the scripture, first John chapter two, beginning with verse three. It says, "Now by this we know that we know him. I love that that there is a way that we can know that we know him. It's not some nebulous, it's not some theoretical out in the in you know in the air somewhere." No, we can know that we know Jesus. How do we do that? If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, But this is an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. But he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity. So grateful for every person that is here today. God, we're praying that we would be able to hear your voice today. God, that we can read and understand, and God, that we would... Uh, perceive, Lord, what you are leading us to do. Lord, that this altar today would be filled with people who are seeking your will and your purpose for our lives, that we can know that we know you. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. This is the test of knowing him. And I want to begin with a simple statement that is not so clear in much of the religious world or many Christian churches today that Many times this this statement has a question mark instead of a period. And can I tell you that this is something that the devil loves to do? The devil loves to take statements which are true and put a question mark behind them. Isn't that true? If we think that if we say for example that Jesus loves you, that is an imperative. That is 100% true that you can prove from the Word of God and from history and from the testimony of all the disciples that Jesus died on the cross. He came to earth as a baby. We're celebrating Christmas. And all of that to prove the point that Jesus loves you and wants to save you. Is that true? And we can say that definitively. We can say it with a period and even an exclamation point at the end. Sometimes, don't you know that the evil one loves to come and put a little question mark behind that sentence? And, you know, when you're struggling or when you're discouraged or when you're in the midst of a failure or when the world is coming against you and instead of being confident about that, what the enemy does is he says, does Jesus really love you? Because if he did, then why is all of this happening? The enemy can gain victory... Simply by putting a question mark on the things that we know to be true. This is what he did from the beginning in the garden. Did God really say? He begins with a question because using a question mark cracks open a uh, uh, a, a lie. The beginning of a lie is simply a question mark where there should be a period. And that is true here as well. When John says that we know, that we know, that we are followers of Jesus. What the enemy will love to do this morning in your heart is he will say, can you really know? Can you really know that you are following him? Because it's easy to do all of the outward things. It's easy to come to church on a Sunday morning. It's easy to uh, carry a Bible under your arm. It's easy to have a Bible app on your phone and to say, well, look, I know that I'm a Christian because of those things. But the enemy will say, is it really true that you can know that you are really saved and really going to heaven and really know Jesus? Uh, I have known believers who've been going to church for many, many years who all of a sudden have an existential crisis of faith and say, Pastor, is there even really a God? The devil loves to do that. He loves to take the things that we thought we knew and to put a question mark. See, the reason that this can become very easily a lie is because the devil wants to consume our souls. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. There is reasons for this lie that we can even know that we know because it's easier to believe in our own actions. It's easier for us uh, human beings to trust in the, uh, the abilities that we have than it is to truly have faith in God. It's a very dangerous place. Sometimes people are offended by how exclusive the gospel is. What do we mean by that? Is Jesus really the only way to heaven? Maybe you've heard the saying that there are many roads that lead to the same destination. There are many paths to God Why should we limit ourselves only to Jesus? Well, I want to tell you that not all roads lead to the same place. There are many roads that lead to many different places, but not many roads lead to God. Let me give you an illustration. If I told you uh, that I wanted you to drive to Jacksonville, Florida tomorrow, I can very easily predict what road you're going to go on. You're going to be on I-95 at some point. You're not going to get from here to Jacksonville, Florida, without someplace getting on I-95. Because unless you're taking a boat or a train, if you are driving, I-95 is the way to get to Florida. If if you got on I-10, you're in the wrong place, bro, and you're not going to get there. If you get on I-80 and you start going west, you're not going to end up in Jacksonville, Florida. There is one way. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except through me. And so this is how we can know that we know that we are communing with God the Father if we have a relationship with Jesus. There's no other way. It's not a communion. It's not a relationship with a pastor. It's not a relationship with even a church. But if we want to know God, we've got to know Jesus. And this is how we know that we know him. Why is Jesus so important in this uh, pursuit of knowing the kingdom of God? I'm going to give you a few reasons. Are you ready? Because only Jesus qualifies as a savior. There is no other human being, there is no other road, there is no other opportunity to come close to God because only Jesus qualifies to be a Savior. Why is that? How come Mr. Andre can't be your Savior? I mean, he's a great guy. Look at him sitting back there. Got a smile on his face. How come he can't be my Savior? Well, because he was not conceived by the Holy Spirit. Only Jesus was. He was not born of a virgin. Only Jesus was, because no one else in the history of the world was conceived by the Spirit and born of a virgin mother. This is what we're celebrating here at Christmas time, isn't it? Only Jesus qualifies. Not uh, not Hari Krishna, not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith. No other religious leader qualifies to be your Savior, because no other religious leader was born of the Holy Spirit. Are are we in agreement so far? Number two, only Jesus is God in human form. He is God incarnate, is the big fancy theological word. Only he qualifies to be Savior because only he can claim to be 100% man and 100% God at the same time. In order for salvation to be effective for your soul, listen, it's nice if somebody would die in your place. Jesus even said that, that there's no greater love that man could have than to die for his friend, right? This is why we celebrate Veterans Day and Memorial Day. We're remembering soldiers who have gone off and given their lives in pursuit of freedom for our nation, and we honor that. That's a great thing. But, you know, a a thousand soldiers could die for my freedom and still not forgive my sins. This is why it's so important that Jesus is God in human form. He must be fully man and fully God. In other words, he can't be an angel. He can't be a ghost. He has to be a man that is 100% God as well. No one else in the world, in the history of the world, qualifies in that way. Nobody else. I can't do that god can't uh, 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 billy graham can't do that only jesus can qualify as savior the third reason is that only jesus lived a sinless life is there anybody here that would like to raise your hand and tell us that you are sinless that you've never lied you've never stolen you've never hated you've never dishonored mother father You've never stolen something. You've never coveted something. Is there anyone here that would like to make that claim? The moment that you lift your hand, you are breaking that because you would be lying. Isn't that true? From the very moment that we are born, we are pre-programmed with sin. It's in our DNA. Sin and rebelliousness. Listen, uh, from the earliest age, those cute little babies, it's a good thing that they're cute because guess what? They're tiny little sinners. They're selfish. What's the first word that little babies learn? No! No! Me! Mine! Mine! Especially if little babies have brothers and sisters. They have to learn, man, I've I got, I got to snatch a few things if I want to hang on to them. That selfish, rebellious nature is in, is in us. I want to tell you that Jesus never sinned. That's the only reason that he qualifies to be our savior. He never lusted. He never lied. He never dishonored his mother and father. He never fell short of God's perfect standards. No one else in the history of the world has ever lived a sinless life. Therefore, only Jesus qualifies to be savior. There's a lot of good people that have lived on this planet, but all of them have sin. All of them have sin in their lives. At some point or another, only Jesus can qualify to be our savior because he was a sinless human being. The fourth thing is that only Jesus died a substitution, substitutionary death. What does that mean? It means that because he never sinned, he did not deserve to die. The reason that we experience death, listen, we've had a rough couple of years, haven't we? After COVID has been around a lot of us have lost loved ones. We've had to deal with the problem of death. And the question often comes up, why do why do people die? What is death all about? Death, isn't it strange that death seems so unnatural? That's true. Death is unnatural. God did not create human beings to die. And that's why when somebody does die, when they do pass away, it seems so strange that I'm not able to talk to this person or spend time with them anymore. That's very difficult for us to process, isn't it? And death is something unnatural to us because it is not part of our original programming. God created Adam and Eve in the garden to live forever with Him in perfection. It is only because of sin that death was released into the human experience. And so when we think about death, we, we, we think of it as something strange and odd. No, it is not just a natural part of life. No, it is not. Because when Jesus comes back, you know what he's going to do? He's going to abolish sin, and he's going to abolish death. Death will no longer be part of the believer's life. When Jesus makes everything right, we won't have to deal with it anymore. Aren't you glad for that? But because Jesus, because of sin, that's why we experience sin death in this life. And what I'm saying to you is that because Jesus never sinned, he did not deserve to die. That's what makes his death on the cross, especially poignant and powerful because he was not dying for his own sins because he had no sins to die for. It was unrighteous for Jesus to die for the rest of us. It's righteous. We deserve death. We deserve God's condemnation. But Jesus' death was different because he had no sins. It means that he was suffering the greatest injustice in the history of the world. How many of you have been a a, a victim of lack of justice? Injustice in life that you got something you didn't deserve, or you didn't get something that you did deserve. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus knows what that is like better than anyone else. He deserved to be crowned the king of the universe as the only sinless individual who has ever lived. Instead, he was rejected by men, he was cursed and persecuted, he was hung on a cross, and he was mocked and beaten, and he was completely sinless. Even in the moment of them killing him, what was he doing? Praying for them. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can you imagine the cosmic injustice of the cross? The greatest man who ever lived suffering the worst punishment that the world can throw at him. That's why we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. And only Jesus. This can only apply to Jesus. Finally, only Jesus can be the Savior because only Jesus rose from the dead, triumphant over sin. Well, you say, Pastor, didn't, wasn't there other uh, uh, resurrections in the Bible? Yeah, there were. There were a few people other than Jesus that were raised from the dead. Um, there was uh, Lazarus, for example. Um, there was that story of the bones that came back to life, or the, the guy they threw in, the, in, the, in the, the, the pit with the bones and he came back to life. There was a few examples of that. The difference is that those guys, or those people who were resurrected, they eventually died. They're not still with us. Jesus, however, when he rose from the dead, he never tasted death again. He is alive to this day. He sits at the right hand of the Father at this moment. He has been bodily resurrected forevermore. He has become the prototype. Of resurrection for you and I. In other words, what Jesus experienced, one day you and I will experience, is what the Bible teaches us. And his resurrection is once and for all. Nobody else can claim that. Nobody else. Who else can you tell me has been resurrected from the dead and is still alive 2,000 years later? No one else in history has been raised from the dead, triumphant over sin. In other words, that. The devil threw his best strategy at him. The world threw its best strategy against Jesus. And even the best that the devil and the world and the flesh could throw at him, Jesus overcame them all. Have you seen the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? When Oslon, the great lion... And uh, the white queen and all all of the forces that came against him and and shaved him of his mane. And they did the worst that they possibly could. But that wasn't good enough. Because Aslan, the picture of Jesus Christ, was triumphant over all of it. And I want to tell you, this is why salvation is only possible through Jesus Christ. I've spent a long time to come to this moment right now. That salvation... Forgiveness of your sins is not possible just through religious actions. It's not possible just through saying a few prayers and, uh, and, you know, singing a few Chris Tomlin songs. Salvation is only possible through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My name is Pastor Adam. I hope that you like me but I can't save you. I can point you to the Savior, but I can't save you. You know, I think about my my daughters. One of them is sitting here today. She's looking at me like, don't embarrass me, Dad. I'm going to try not to. I hope that I provide a good home for them, a good blessed experience for my daughters. I hope that, you know, that they are blessed and happy and healthy because of uh, hopefully something I can help them in their lives. But you know what I can't do? I cannot guarantee a spot in heaven for them. I can't do that. As much as I wish I could. I wish I could pay off the right angel and say, you know, save a spot for my kids because I want them to be there. But I can't do that. I can't pay that kind of a price because I cannot forgive their sins. Only Jesus can do that. That's why we teach our kids to have their own relationship with Jesus. It's the only way. Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 45, uh, verse 46, rather, It is written and necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. In other words, that the way that sin can be finally dealt with and done away with is only through the preaching of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected that's what jesus that's what he taught us so when you go to church and you you listen to three or four sermons from the pastor and you better hear very quickly and very often that jesus is the only way to be saved that the only way for sins to be forgiven is through jesus and his substitutionary death and resurrection on the cross listen that is the only way this is how we know that we know him because number one, we understand the gospel, the good news that sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And number two, that we make it happen in our lives through repentance and faith. That's what John is trying to tell us here. Romans 9. if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He didn't say, if you join a church, He didn't say if you feel religious. He didn't say if you wear the right clothing or say the right words in your mouth. No, it's only through Jesus. We know that there is a definite road to salvation. We know that there is a path to follow. God has given us a way to know with certainty whether we are on that road or not. Are you ready to take the test? It's about the commandments. 1 John 2, verse 3. Now by this we know... That we know him if, if, that's a very important word, if we keep his commandments. That's, that's the test. Now, I want to say this morning that keeping the commandments is not the source of your salvation. That's what the Jewish people thought. That's what religious people think. They think that if I just stick to the letter of the law that God owes me salvation and he has to provide me a place of salvation, and that's not the way it works the following the commandments is not the source of our salvation however it is the result of our salvation if you are saved these are the things that will happen and so the reason that's important is because people come to church every sunday in the united states of america and all around the world and they say yes i'm a believer yes i'm saved yes i'm right with god yes i'm a follower of jesus but then follow them home follow them home and see what their lives are really like what kind of words actually come out of, out of their mouths what kind of decisions they make how they treat the people that care about them and sometimes the hype doesn't match the actions and the words how do we know if we are truly following Jesus we know because when we leave this place and we're in the the privacy of our own homes That this salvation is more than just something we put on a show for other people. But it's something that actually affects our private lives, in our homes, at our workplaces, on the freeway. So don't tell me how spiritual you are and how close to Jesus you are if when you leave this place, you're still full of lusting and lying and blaspheming and wickedness. It got pretty quiet. Does this mean, pastor, that Christians are expected to be perfect? Well, I could point you to a few scriptures that actually do say that. Now, I understand Christians are going to make mistakes. We're we're not angels. We have not sprouted angel wings. We don't have halos above our heads, despite what the Catholic Church portrays, saints having halos. But I do want to say that we should be the people striving every day for perfection. That, that might not be the reality, but that is the goal. And that when we, when we sin, it's because we fell into sin, not because we were jumping in. woo It's time to sin today! That there ought to be a difference in your life and in mine. Jesus said the test, the, the Apostle John, the, the way that you know, that you know him, is that you're following his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, What? If you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say if you love me, you know, get, get, get religious and get, get uh, you know, play a Chris Tomlin song and, and uh, listen to Caleb and, uh, and, and just have a, a, a goosebump moment with the Lord. Psalm 106 verse 3, blessed are those who keep justice. And he who does righteousness at all times. We just read in our Bible plan through Psalm 119, perhaps the greatest love letter to the scriptures in all the Bible. Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. And the whole thing is expressing David's love for the word of God. And just a few verses from that. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Verse 146, I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. Let us not forget this morning that the evidence of Christ changing your life is that you begin to keep his commandments, and even without knowing them. Even the newest of the new converts could tell you, what's right and wrong. Without knowing the letter of the law, they can tell you that by loving Jesus and loving his people, that there are some things you should do and some things you shouldn't do. Isn't that true? Proverbs 8, 32. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Ecclesiastes 8, 5. He who keeps his commandment will experience nothing harmful. A wise man's heart discerns time and and judgment luke 8 luke 11 28 he said more than that blessed are those who hear the word of god and keep it luke 6 46 why do they call me lord lord and do not do the things that i say i think that could be written over the mantle of many christians today so-called christians why do you call me lord lord but you don't do the things that i say this is so frustrating to the heart of anybody who is a true believer. And I can't imagine how frustrating it must be to God himself. You, you, say you're my, you say that I'm your Lord, but you're not doing anything that I told you to do. So is it true that I'm the Lord of your life? Jesus, John fifteen ten. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Was there any question about Jesus' commitment to his Father? Was there any question mark? Uh, Did he do the will of God or not? No, there was no question mark. It was sure. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So this morning, as we close, keeping the commandments, just trying to do that on your own strength. That's not what saves you. But if you are saved, if Jesus has truly changed your life, then it is the will, it is the desire of your heart every day that your lungs will draw breath is Lord. I want to please you. I want to be careful to keep your commandments. I want to be careful. There's finally, there's just a couple of last things that John says here that I want to mention as we close. It is not just the keeping of the commandments, but it's also how we keep those commandments. It's not just, you know, some people treat living for God like it's some bummer, like it's some uh, difficult thing to do. But you know what? Keeping the commandments is actually something that's joyful and should cause exuberance and excitement. In fact, the people in the Word of God who were most excited about the kingdom of God were those who stayed close to the will of God. Verse 9 says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. John is saying this is another very easy way to judge whether or not you know that you know him. How do you treat your brothers and sisters in Jesus, in Christ? Do you even know them? Do Do you help them? Do you pray for them? Jesus said to his disciples, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you love somebody, it means you're not trying to hurt them and not trying to cause them to stumble. Our scripture says in verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. In other words, he does not cause his brothers and sisters to stumble in the faith. Jesus was very concerned about causing people to stumble in their faith. What did he say to those Pharisees that were causing the young ones to stumble in their faith? He said it would be better for them if they put a stone around their neck and be cast into the sea. He says that would be much better for them than when I get my hands on them. Because they have caused those who are young or weak in their faith to stumble. God's not about that life. He says what we should be doing if we care about people is we should not be causing people to stumble with our words and our deeds and our example. He says we should be encouraging people. We should be helping people, lifting people up, praying for people, crying, crying out to God on their behalf. Do you pass the test? say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm causing people to stumble? Well, is there a, is there a, a trail of dead Christians in your history? People that you uh, encouraged and they gave up the faith. Maybe it's time to check. Maybe it's time to, to see. Lord, maybe I need to be more like you, helping people. So as we close, revival happens when old truths become new in our hearts. This is what our scripture said. He said, I did not give you a new commandment. This is nothing new. He said in uh, in verse 7, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but it's an old commandment which you've had from the beginning. And it is the word which you heard from the beginning. But then he says, a new commandment I write to you. So the, the idea here is that there are lots of things that we know to be true or that we know we should be doing. That for years, perhaps, there's things in our lives that we've heard, you know, it would be good if you did that. But the mark of a heart that is sensitive to the Lord is when we can go back and reach into the history of God's word and God's commandments and say, make this new for me again. That's called revival. When God takes the old truths and rejuvenates them in our hearts. And listen, no matter how long you've been saved, if you've been saved uh, two years or 20 years or 50 years that you can reach back into something old that you know is right for you to do and make it new again. Make it fresh in your life. Go knock on a door for Jesus. Invite them to church, even though it's been a long time. You know, make a commitment to read through the entire Word of God in a year. Use something that, you know, you've heard. That's probably a good idea, but maybe haven't done it for a while. Make it new again. Make it fresh. Serve somebody who's in need instead of just yourself. Buy a Christmas present, not just for your for your family to be under your Christmas tree. What about your neighbor's Christmas tree for the family that's in need? And when you take those old things that you know are true, but haven't done them for a while, and you make them new in your life again, this is what causes a joyful experience in Jesus Christ. And so this is the test of knowing him. The test that you know that you know, the only way to true salvation is when you can look at your life, and without lying, you can say, I'm keeping his commandments. This is not something you have to try harder to do. Don't get this wrong. It's I'm not looking for better performances. The idea is that if you're right with him, this comes with the territory. You begin to bear the family resemblance. When you're changed, when you're right with God, this is not something you have to try hard to do. It is simply uh, part of the experience of living for Jesus, and so I pray that God would challenge you to know Him and to know Him better today. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and bring this service to an end. And I do thank you for your attention this morning. What a blessing! Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays.